We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The baseball season is go, go, go. It's nonstop, relentless for every night, six straight months, and then hopefully another month in October. You also have work, friends, family, and a million other things going on. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. I mean, the mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. Is there anything better than opening up your refrigerator after a long day, seeing that icy cold Coors Light can or bottle in your fridge? The answer is no, there's nothing better. That's why when it's time to chill, you choose Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So that's why when you want to hit reset, reach for a beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate. We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your hosts, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Bronx Pinstripe Show, episode 267. The Yankees are lifeless, they're sluggish, but this episode of the podcast will not be lifeless. It is a jam-packed episode. Scott, you are able to join for a few minutes because the hurricane has shifted courses. How's it going down there in Virginia? It's going all right. It's going all right. The, uh, yeah, the hurricane is, uh, is, is dodging a lot of uh, my family's homes, which is a good thing. So um, I'm able to get on, and I was supposed to be in Chicago this week. I had to cancel that trip. There's a bunch of stuff. This whole week has been just a, a crazy, crazy mess. So I appreciate all the uh, guys coming on tonight and picking me up. Um, I thought we were going to have to do this after a Yankees uh, no-hitter. and It was close. <laughs> and I'm not talking about a Yankees pitcher throwing a no-hitter. I really thought that we were going to have to get on here and talk, not after a Sunny Gray start, that's bad enough, but after a, a game where Jake Odorizzi of the Minnesota Twins 
no hits the New York Yankees. I thought that was going to happen. Dude, it's same shit, different day with this with this team. How many times does a mediocre pitcher or a mediocre bullpen no hit them into the fifth, sixth, and tonight into the eighth inning? It just seems like it happens far too often over the last month, month and a half. Uh, yeah, I, I can count at least four games where there was a no at least at least four games where there was a no hitter uh, going into you know fifth, sixth inning. And, and we, I know I've talked about this. Two of them were with um, uh, James Shields and. Uh, and the Orioles' greatest free agent pickup, and his name is eluding me right now because it's late and I don't really care. Cobb? <laughs> Alex Cobb, thank you. Um, thought yeah. you were talking about Chris Davis. No. Chris, Chris Davis, what do you... No, he doesn't pitch, but he's awful too. The, the, here's, and then guess who, be, guess who beat them today? Uh, you know, the, the, oh, the guys that are taking care of business that yeah, won 10 nothing. The hunger like, team. Let's let's just go and, and beat these this lifeless horrible Orioles team and get the hell out of here, and uh, see what the Yankees do. That's what happened with them. Oakland's the hungry team right now. They're on a tear. They the Yankees just completed a nine game road trip, which we deemed the last most important road trip, the last most important stretch of games of the season. Because if they took care of business against Oakland and against Seattle and against Minnesota, a team they have been crushing for ten straight seasons, right. Um, then it wouldn't even really be an issue. The Yankees would lock up the home field in the wild card game, and they could just start to focus on preparing for that. Instead, as we sit here after Wednesday, the Yankees are only a game up on Oakland in the wild card. And I get into everything with Wally Matthews and with Neil Keefe. We do two separate segments, and the the wild card game, and if the Yankees are going to be home, if they're going to be on the road, who they're going to play is a big portion of that. So, you know, the, a, a lot of this podcast is spent on that and, and some ramifications from that. But it is really getting uh, it's getting nervous at this point. I'm getting nervous with, with the way the Yankees are playing, with the way the uh, Oakland A's are playing. You know, I was thinking about this tonight, and I obviously have not listened yet to, uh, to your segments with Wally and Neil. So I don't know, um, you know, if I'm going to be contradictory or saying uh, along the lines of what one of these guys are saying. But I will say this, that... If if I'm if I'm sitting on the Oakland A's side, I, I and I'm looking at them and I'm a spectator. I don't think they care where they play. Do they want to be at home? Sure. Does it matter? No. I don't think they care at all because this team has absolutely nothing to lose. They're playing with the house money. They're young. They're hungry. They're ready to go. You know what? They may be excited to go to Yankee Stadium and whoop the Yankees' ass at Yankee Stadium. I really don't think it matters one goddamn iota where they play on their side but it's significantly important i think maybe i'm wrong significantly important for the yankees to play at home that's an interesting take because the the a's could be thinking hey we don't want to have to fly cross country and then go start the division series in boston why don't we just make that trip a few days early and only have to take a quick ride up from new york to boston I don't think they care. Why would they care? Does well, it matter? A, no. a lot of it is how you're. What are they going to have their the big home crowd? They have a big home field advantage. Do you remember 2015? How the Yankees sort of limped into that one game wild card, and yes, they were the home team. But did it look like they had the upper hand there against the Houston Astros? No. Well, no, because, because Dallas Keuchel destroyed us that year. But it's because a big portion of the playoffs is how you are playing then. Right. If you're the hot team. A lot of times, it doesn't matter where it is. Right. And in a one game, do or die, winner take all. Who the hell knows? And in um, 2015, they couldn't score. They couldn't score they couldn't, a run if they if they you know. And I'm not saying this team. I'm not saying this team is the 2015 all o- 2015 no, team all over again. Though. 
but uh, for two months, it's it's been it's been a slow burn with this team. Um, one of those things that we had been just waiting and waiting for him to get his swagger back, to get his gas and filth back, was Luis Severino. And I thought for the first five innings against Minnesota tonight, it looked like he got his swagger back. Yeah, I mean, I guess I said this on our on the post game video. I said, I said that um, Severino looks good. But at this point, I'm looking for anything and everything. So maybe he's not, he wasn't as good as I, I thought he was. I, I don't know. Because I do feel like I'm searching and looking and hoping and praying and, and like doing everything possible for Luis Severino to come back because I feel like he's our knight in shining armor. But at the same time, um, you know, there was no depth. He got into the sixth inning, couldn't get through the sixth inning. And I know he probably could have if the... Um, he got yanked a little early. He got there, yanked a little early. And I think Boone was just trying to, to get out of there. He's trying uh, to win a game. Boone's trying to win a game any way possible. He, he feels the pressure Oakland right, breathing so, down so, their neck. But they're, they're... Okay, boom, right there. He's trying to win a game. Luis Severino is in the sixth inning with one out. And he wasn't the guy that he, uh, he chose to get out of that inning. And, and that's your number one guy. So yeah, he's trying to win a game. But the reason he was trying to win a game, uh, or the way that he was trying to win a game, was pulling Luis Severino. And I mean, it worked in that in that in that instance. But um, yeah, it's just concerning to me that that he still is. Uh, and I know his pitch count wasn't wasn't crazy high. It was I think what in the eighties or low eighties. So yeah, I mean, it was it was good. It was encouraging. But at this point, I mean. I need I need him back. I don't well, need encouraging building up to what? What am I building up to? Well, but the, we, this is all we have at this point because yeah. if he can channel those first five innings and take that into the next start, maybe he has something. He's going to have a couple more starts before the end of the season. He he got into trouble in the sixth inning. He left up a hanging changeup to the number nine hitter, Ed, Adrianza, and that went for the RBI double. And with the Yankees being no hit at the time, it felt like they were down 10 nothing. Um, is he the third baseman? I think he, if he is the third, I mean, it was a ridiculous play that he made in the first in the first inning. I, the, the Minnesota Twins were gloving the ball today too. I mean, the yeah, Yankees, Yankees were no hit, hit a lot of balls. They hard. hit a, they hit balls in the screws and uh, and they couldn't they couldn't find a hit. But um, they played some good defense. There's there's definitely no doubt about it. But you know what? <laughs> find some green, man. Find some green. Thank God. Thank God, Greg Bird did it. Yeah, Greg Bird was the, of course the guy to to come through. Right. Um, just. A miserable road trip overall, like I said. Four and five in the nine games. They have uh, the home series coming up, last home series of the year. They're going to be playing Boston in this home series. And then they play Tampa and Boston to finish the season. Two teams that are going to be trying to screw the Yankees out of a home field in the wild card. So they're going to have to snap out of this funk sooner rather than later. And two places that they, tr- uh, that they have struggled very badly all year long. Uh, yep. going to Tampa and going to Fenway. Yankees have not been good at all in either place. So it's a tall task. All right, we're going to get into the next two segments. First up is my conversation with Wally Matthews and then the conversation I had with Neil Keefe. Scott, stay safe down there. Any last words? That's it. Uh, if everybody's going to the uh, everybody who's going to the event this weekend, keep an eye out for some emails. Uh, the tickets will get transferred to you on Thursday, tomorrow, today, uh, Thursday, and um, the t-shirts are arriving. I know some of them arrived today, and a lot of the tracking numbers say Thursday delivery. So keep an eye out. Keep your uh, go look in the mailbox. T-shirts are probably still tomorrow. And of course, NAS saw the letters that spell. Deep, I never felt. Not like, not like, half man, half amazing. No doubt, doubt. Not like life or death.
Joining me on the podcast now is Wally Matthews. He is a writer. He covers baseball, boxing, and now he has his own podcast called the New York, New York Baseball Podcast. Wally, did we inspire you to start a podcast? <laughs> yes, we did, as a matter of fact. I, I heard yours. I said, boy, why can't I do this? No, seriously, uh, somebody asked me to do it. Um, my partner, Dan Canobio, was starting it, and uh, he knew that you know I was at the games all the time and had connections to some decent guests, so... Uh, so we started it, but yeah, definitely listening to yours and some others uh, showed me the way to do it. Appreciate that. So yeah, you've been, but you've been covering New York sports for for quite a long time at a number of different outlets, and yeah. you were you were the beat writer for the Yankees for what seven years? Yeah, I uh, actually did seven seasons with ESPN, and then you know I considered myself the home beat writer for the Times last year, but I did about sixty five out of the eighty one games. And this year I've done about at least half of them, I would say. So let's say I've been around the team on a semi to full-time basis for the past 10 years. And so in all of those years covering, and not just baseball, any, any sport that you've been covering, can you recall a team or a season where it's felt like on the surface of things, the results look great, the team is playing 35 games over 500, but if you watch this team every day, you know that things are trending in the wrong direction, and it feels like people are panicking as we're entering late September. Well, you know what? I kind of saw this happening near the end of the 1998 season, as great as that team was. They kind of had a downturn late in the year, and there were some worries there. There were some worries in 2000, and they wound up going on to beat the Mets in the World Series. Um, look, this team has had a great season. There's, there's just no question about it. Is it perfect? No. Is it flawed? Definitely. But you also have to factor in, they're in a division with a team that's playing at, you know, for most of the season, playing at a historically good pace. So, um, you know, if the Yankees win 100 games and come in second, I understand how, you know, I hate to use the word spoiled, but how sometimes entitled the fan base appears to be for the Yankees. But, you know, a team that wins 100 games and finishes eight games behind the Boston Red Sox, you can't call that a failure. It's, you just say they ran into a juggernaut. Well, um, I was going to save this question for late, but you brought it up already. A failure. What would okay. be? What would be? What would be a failure if they don't make it back, at least back to the they division got, series? Is that a failure? Like, yes, without a doubt, they got to win. They have to win the wild card game. Absolutely. I mean, look, and then if you go head to head with the Red Sox in the division series, fine. Okay, it's mano a mano. Let's see who wins. You know, which team is better. Blah blah blah. And uh, if you lose that, you have nothing to be ashamed of. But if you don't get out of the division, I mean, um, the wild card game. And uh, it, it would even be a failure if you fail to hold your position as the home team for the wild card game, I would think. But, yeah, you got to at least get to the division series this year. Yeah, I'd agree with you. If they have to travel to Oakland or even Houston, if Oakland catches Houston, I think that would certainly be a failure. It would almost feel like they're defeated before they even throw the first pitch in yeah, that game. Yeah, but they can still win that game. They can still win that game. You know, that's the thing. So, you know, it, it's not so much – it's a disappointment if they have to play the game on the road. But um, if they win the game, forget all about it the next day. So watching watching uh, Boone this year, how would you assess his first year managing? Uh, I think it's been pretty good. Um, obviously, there's been some growing pains. You know, he, he's made a couple of mistakes. I know people quibble over the bullpen usage. But, you know, what, what can you do when you have a starting staff that for a lot of the season was giving you five innings a game? I mean, obviously, you're going to have to do – you're going to have to be a magician to keep that bullpen, uh, you know – to not burn out your bullpen and, and to keep guys uh, healthy enough to, to get you to the end of the game. I mean, let's not forget, for a while there, nobody could go five innings. So, uh, you know, there was a lot of bullpen usage, and that's a tough thing for a rookie manager to manage. You know, and I don't care how much time 
he spent on the field or, or in the TV booth, it's not the same. I mean, once the game starts and you have to make in-game decisions, you know, it's a difficult job, and we've seen it. We saw it with Mickey Calloway also, you know, across town. You know, he, he made a ton of bad decisions, but he also had a, didn't have the team that Boone had. Um, I think overall Boone's been very good. I think he's been good dealing with the media, so obviously that, that gained some points for me because it's just so much more pleasant to be able to <laughs> ask a guy a question and know you're not going to be condescended to or get a one-word answer or uh, have the guy stalk out in tears as he did a couple, you know, the, the predecessor, Mr. Girardi, did a couple of times last year. Well, with Girardi, I, I recall some some press conferences early in his tenure that were not so much like that. So maybe it was the media's fault. They turned Girardi into that sort of personality. <laughs> no, I think I think what it was, and I don't think we, we turn, I think people's personalities get magnified when you see them twice a day. And, you know... Uh, Anybody after a while is going to show his true nature, and I think that's what we saw uh, with Joe. Um, I think part of the thing is his intensity. He's just wound too tight, you know, and um, I never felt like he was enjoying the job, even when the Yankees were winning. I always felt like uh, he was always under some kind of stress, some kind of anguish, and as, as September rolled around, uh, you know, he, he didn't have the, the luxury of, of managing the 1998 team or any team that really ran away with anything. I always felt like it was getting to him, you know, uh, and I've said many times to my colleagues that if I felt as unhappy or looked as unhappy in my job as he does in his, I would quit. <laughs> you know, I didn't understand why he did it. I, honestly, I mean, he just seemed like he was miserable. And I don't get that feeling from Aaron Boone. I mean, he comes in every day. He's um, he's pleasant. You know, he, he can be humorous. Even, you know, when things go wrong, he, he pretty much keeps even keeled. And I think that's important in the manager, especially nowadays, because there's so much media focus on everything that they do. With Girardi, didn't it almost seem like after the whole debacle in the division series last year with the the replay, non-replay, that he loosened up? Maybe he knew at that point his job was gone anyway, so he just could enjoy the last week or two weeks of managing the Yankees? (laughs) Well, I I think there's something to your theory. I think that he probably knew he was on borrowed time, but I do think, from what I understand, he was pretty shocked to find out he wasn't coming back. I mean, you know, in all fairness, the guy took the team within one victory of the World Series where, you know, you wouldn't have given a nickel for his chances after the game in Cleveland. So, uh, I mean, whether the team pulled together for him, whether he did a great managing job, you know, whether, it, you know, it was just that the Yankees played well for the home games, but that's basically where they won all their games uh, last October. Whatever it was, he brought them right to the brink of the World Series. So I'm not surprised that he was surprised to get fired. But as you probably, and I'm sure you know, and as I know, this decision was made months before that, and he was gone even if they had won the World Series. I mean, they, you know, something happened there. Something happened in the front office of the Yankees that soured them on Girardi, and, uh, you know, the decision was made that he was getting whacked no matter what happened. I agree with you on, on that. And, and with Girardi, I think he actually didn't get enough credit for how much he got out of some of those 2013-2014 teams, which, yes, had a $200 million payroll but also had – you know, Kevin Euclid, oh, okay. Kevin Euclid and Ichiro Suzuki and <laughs> Jason Nixon in the everyday lineup on a regular basis. And he got them to mid 80s wins. So, yes, you can say all that stuff about Girardi, but he did get results. And Boone is getting results, too. Like I said, they're 35 games over 500. I do think, yeah. though, he's had to he's he's been learning well, me, a lot of things on the job. This. OK, well, let me ask you this. How many more victories? How many victories do you think Boone has cost them? It's so it's it's honestly so hard to tell to put a number on that, but I certainly think there were some early bullpen decisions 
where he used mm. guys in interesting leverage situations that came back to backfire. And then I look at last night's game, and the Yankees are still trying to secure the number one wild card spot. And they threw out Sonny Gray, Jonathan Lasagna, and then Tommy Canely, three guys who are not going to pitch in October. Yeah, well, you know, part of that was uh, trying to position uh, Severino, you know, for the games in Boston, and then uh, hopefully, I guess, in Boone's mind anyway, line him up for the wild card game. But, um, you know, I think sometimes we, we overvalue the role of the manager. And I think something very, very indicative happened uh, last weekend, and I'm sure you know the game I'm talking about, when Josh Bard ran the show because um, Bloom was serving the suspension. And, you know, the, the moment came up where they had bases loaded and, and they're down three runs, and he sends Greg Bird up yeah. and keeps uh, John Carlos Stanton on the bench. Now, you know, Greg Bird comes within, you know, six inches of winning the game with a grand slam homer. But the decision was somewhat questionable because you're talking about the reigning National League MVP and a guy that hit 59 home runs last year, you know, and you're looking for a home run in that, in that spot. There's no doubt about it. That's what you want your guy to do. You know, so which one gives you a better chance of hitting the home run there? You know, it seemed to me it was a strictly lefty-righty decision. And I asked Josh Bard about that afterward, and he gave me, first he gave me some bogus answer about how the matchup favored John, uh, Greg Bird. And then I went back and looked at it, and it turned out that Giancarlo had actually faced the guy twice and had a double against him, and Greg Bird had never faced him. So the only way the matchup fa- uh, favors Greg Bird is if you're a lefty-righty reflexive guy. Okay? Then I asked him what it was like to have to manage that kind of a game, you know, without Boone there, you know, to be thrust into a game like that where you suddenly have to make this big decision. You know what he said? You might remember the quote. He said, the process remains the same no matter who's managing. <laughs> It's such what a telling. Tell it's such a telling quote that Boone's not even making the decisions. It's coming from up Thank top. You. That's correct. That's absolutely correct. So if you're going to point at Boone's mistakes, just understand those might not have been his decisions. They might have been coming from somewhere else. And it's that's a great that's a great story that's a great story. It's a great point. And I'm not a Boone hater. And anyone who listens to this podcast week in and week out knows I'm not a Boone hater. But um, I have also said at times that this is the team that Cashman has built. He's built a team that's going to hit a lot of home runs and going to strike out a lot. He's hit a team that Without does enough. that does not is not going to bunt. It's just not going to happen no matter how many times and we don't scream. Forget, this does not only come from Cashman, this comes from his analytics guys. Well, yes, and, and Cashman, but that's what Cashman has turned into. He's turned into an analytical GM. That's right. And a lot of GMs have. You know, I had Bobby Valentine on my podcast yesterday, and I said to him, you know, the role of the manager has changed so much. You know, and I told him the Josh Bard story. I said, you know, that a lot of times you don't even, you're out of the decision-making process. I said, do you think you could work in this environment? And he said, probably not, you know? I mean, it's the old school guys like Valentine. We saw it with Terry Collins last year. You're going to see it with Mike Sosha at some point. Um, you know, if, if they're not willing to just go reflexively along with what the analytics guys tell them to do, they're going to be out of jobs. And Girardi may not have been willing to do that. That may have been the, I believe that's part of it. the crux yes, of I the rift. Yep. Yeah. He, was, he, he was analytically oriented, but I think he did you know, in terms of in-game decisions, want to call his own shots. I mean, you know, John Glenn wanted to fly his, his Mercury capsule without any help from, from, NASA, from NASA. You know, and they said, the hell with that. You know, we're going to fly it from down here. And I think, you know, he rebelled against that. And I think Girardi rebelled against it as well. Absolutely. All right, so rank the disappointments this season for the Yankees. Sonny Gray, <laughs> Gary Sanchez, okay. and Greg Bird. Okay. Uh, I'm less disappointed in Greg Bird than the other two, quite honestly, because I think Bird, I think some of Bird's problems were injury. 
injury related. Um, you know, I, I think he just could be one of these guys that, you know, has a bad body, unfortunately. And, uh, you know, just can't stand up to the rigors of everyday play. I hope I'm wrong about that because he's a terrific kid. He really is. Um, Sanchez disappoints me maybe more than Gray, and I'll tell you why, because I don't see a bit of improvement in him behind the plate. In fact, I see some regression. And that was, you know, a big complaint about him last year, okay? And obviously, whatever work needed to be done in the offseason, in spring training, was not done because he's not a better catcher this year. In fact, he's a worse catcher than he was last year. The other thing that bothered me about him was when he came back from the DL just last week, Boone said, you know, he's in the best shape uh, he's been in all year. And, you know, I, I had to put my hand up and say, Aaron, you know, why couldn't he get in that kind of shape before spring training? You know, and, and you know, I got some mealy mouth answer, you know, pleasant enough, but no, no real no real commitment to, uh, to what was going on there. But it seems to me that Gary Sanchez might have a work ethic problem. And I, you know, I hate to say that about a guy, but when you're 25 years old, if you can't be in rock-hard shape on April 1st or March 1st, you know, there's no excuse that you know, you're suddenly working your ass into shape in September because you've been on the DL for a month. I mean, to me, that was a big red flag. It was totally um, a backhanded uh, slap, backhanded jab at Gary Sanchez when the first time so he went on the DL. Say that? Right, when yeah, the first time he went on the DL, Boone said it as well. Yeah, so that, that may be like the nice guy's way of saying, you know, we need this guy to get in better shape. Right, yeah, um, as a yeah, Sonny, I've suspected he's been injured since they got him. I thought the Yankees got him too easily. I thought Billy Bean gave up on him too easily. I mean, he doesn't make a lot of money, um, you know, by compare, you know, for a guy of his stature or, or his former stature, he did spend some time in the D- on the DL uh, in Oakland. You know, the season that the Yankees traded for him, most of the year before. Um, I just don't understand how a guy suddenly forgets to pitch. How to pitch? Now I know he was pitching in a you know a much tougher ballpark to hit in in Oakland. I know uh, the AL East. You know, you, you know the hitting is much better. We know that. Um, maybe the pressure, although I don't think so. I wrote a story about Sonny Gray dealing with his father's death and playing a terrific game in high school, you know, throwing for a, a, um, a record uh, in passing yardage the night his father died, you know. So I don't think he's the kind of kid that get, gets rattled by pressure. Um, so I, I still suspect that there's a, a physical problem there. And, uh, you know, quite honestly, I like him. You know, I, I do. I think that... Um, that he's in a tough situation, and uh, I think he's as puzzled by this as anybody. I mean, this is a guy, you know, who met zeros with Justin Verlander in the playoffs when he was a rookie. So, you know, are we really going to say this guy can't handle New York? You right. know, I mean, that's what, the what, narrative, though. The narrative is, and, and I, I think I, it, I think it stems from a lot of these awkward interviews that he gives, and you saw it last night on the Yes he broadcast. Does. He just keeps repeating yeah. himself, and he and he spews a lot of cliches, and it's all well and good that he needs to command the strike zone and keep it simple, but then he goes yeah. out there and falls apart four batters into the game. So yeah, it, I know something about Sonny that 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 might factor into that. You know, he he um he stammers a little bit. He has a little bit of a speech impediment, and I think that um. When, especially when he's interviewed on television, I think he's very conscious of it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why he, he's very careful with what he says, because he doesn't want to stutter on TV. I'm telling you, this is, this is absolute truth. So, I mean, I don't know, I'm not using that as an excuse. I'm just telling you this could be an explanation for why he doesn't come off well in those things. Because when you get him alone privately, he's fine. It's not like that. Yeah, and and I I can totally buy that. I actually had a chance to talk with him for just a few minutes um, at um, right. Sabathia's 
uh, charity softball event. And I asked him a couple of just fun questions and he was very personable and that sort of yeah. thing. And, but then I did ask him just a very, uh, PC question about how you've been dealing with your struggles on the mound this year. And that's when he sort right. of started to get a little jittery. So, um, yeah. from that sense, well, I mean, he knows, Andrew, he knows the narrative, you know, sure even, thing. even if he doesn't read the paper, somebody reads it to him. Trust me. I mean, nothing that, that we say or write that doesn't get back to these guys in some way. Yeah, and I think for all three of those guys I mentioned, Bird, Sanchez, and Sonny Gray, it's been a completely lost season, and they're going to have huge question marks coming into 2019. Um, Surprised you didn't bring up Ellsbury. I guess you're not disappointed by him. No, that's exactly what I expected out of Ellsbury. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that was too easy. Sorry. Yeah. Speaking of, of 2019, though, I know we're not fully looking ahead because it's still mid-September, but uh, talking about the starting rotation, do you see Brian Cashman um, – uh, giving out maybe one-year deals again to guys like Sabathia and maybe even Hap, or do you think he's going to try and do something a little bit more uh, significant this offseason after what's what's transpired in the rotation? I think more likely for Hap than Sabathia. I think we're starting to see, you know, the beginning of the end for CC. Um, you know, I think the knee just becomes too much of a problem as the season wears on. We've seen it the past couple of seasons. So, now I, I really don't think CC's going to be coming back. I, I think they might. They might make an offer to Jay Happ. I mean, I, honestly, I don't even know what the free agent crop of pitchers is for next year. Uh, I know Cashman hates giving out long-term deals for pitchers. He's been burnt by them several times. Yeah. You know, he's got guys that he's under that he has under control. You know, for the next couple of years. You know, even Loizaga, you know, shows potential. I mean, I don't think. I obviously I agree with you. I don't think he's ready to pitch this October, but he does have potential for the future. Um, he can't give up on Severino because of one or two bad months, you know, no, and, uh, and you still got Tanaka next year. So I, I think he would be reluctant, quite honestly, to enter into a long-term deal with a pitcher. You know, like I, I think maybe like AJ Burnett was the last one that he was going to do that with. Well, guys uh, like, guys like Keiko and Corbin are both free agents this year and they're six years younger, five years younger than Hap, but they're going to be asking for five plus year deals. And I don't see but, Brian but Cashman they were, doing they were 30 that. 30 year old guys. All right. Keiko is 30 years old. No, no, correct. But they're, but what I'm saying is they're, they're six years younger uh, than Hap. So. Yeah. But yeah, but they're going to want, they're going to want longer term deals. You know, you might be able to get Hap on a one and an option. Yep. Keiko's going to want, five to seven years. And I just know from my conversations with Cashman that he's not giving a 30 year old pitcher seven years. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. Um, totally agree with you on that. Um, so as we, uh, I, I read something you wrote back on July 27th, the title was, uh, let me find it here. Yankees have no need to fear the wild card game this season. And I know part of what you were saying <laughs> is part of what I read the article. So part of what you were saying is that they should just start to prep for it because the Red Sox are on yes. a historical tear and they need to be yes. logical about this. But the headline okay. does also um, at the time in late July, the Yankees also looked like a juggernaut. So it, and Severino, we thought was that ace. So it wasn't going to be an uh-huh. issue. But do you uh, have you changed your stance on that a little bit at this point? Well, <laughs> when you read the headline, I'm thinking, all right, is this the definition of that one didn't age well? Let me think about it. Actually, it did age kind of well because they are going to wind up the wild card, but now they do have something to fear because <laughs> I didn't foresee the bottom falling out as badly as it did in the division race. I didn't foresee Severino continuing to struggle as long as he has. Um, that was based basically on the fact that the Yankees were pretty much unbeatable at home at that point in the season. 
you know, and uh, the thing was, there's no point in burning out your pitching staff trying to catch Boston. You're not going to catch it. I did the math. All right. I mean, you know, I'm not, I'm not working. I'm not a rocket scientist, but I could do the math. And I knew what the two records had to be for them to make up the deficit. You know what I'm saying? Yep. And the odds were against. So I was like, look, you're probably going for the wild card. Line up your pitching now. Figure out who's going to throw that game. Make sure you play it at home. And you don't have to fear it. You'll go to the division series. I think that premise still stands up. The, um, the part that may not stand up is that they may not be playing the game at home. Right, and and that would be, I think, a, a huge issue. Although, guys, so, you know, Masahiro Tanaka pitches better on the road than at home. So I mm-hmm. think I think at this point he might be. That's the... so sunny. That's so sunny. <laughs> yeah, sunny. sunny. I, I guess <laughs> if they get into a twenty-two inning game, Sunny Gray might try out of that bullpen. <laughs> but right. uh, but Tanaka and Hap almost have have surpassed Severino at this point for maybe getting the nod in that one game playoff. Yeah. You know, depending on the matchup, I might prefer half because Tanaka has a tendency to give up the long ball. And depending on who you're playing, you know, you might not. And it might turn. It might turn to be a bullpen game. It really might. I mean, I don't, I don't see the Yankees going with an opener, but you may very well see Tanaka for two innings, half for two innings, uh, and then you know uh, start rolling out. You know, Chad Green, Robertson, DeCantis, and Chapman, assuming Chapman comes back. Um, you know, that that might very well be what you see. But it, it's interesting to me that it seems like Boone is lining up Severino, I guess, under the, the belief that, you know, you go with your best. And he is still, until proven otherwise, still, you know, potentially the best pitcher they have. So, uh, I mean, that's what it seems like he's doing here. I, if Severino gets lit up in the two game, you know, his next two starts, maybe he shifts gears on that. But it just appears to me the fact that they used Sonny yesterday and pushed Luis to tonight tells me that maybe they are setting them up for the wild card game. One thing we get a lot is people emailing us or, or tagging us on social media complaining about Larry Rothschild. And he was the big, <laughs> he was the main coach that is the holdover from the Girardi era. And, and you know, with what's happened to Severino over the last two months and what's what happened to Sonny Gray over the past year, I don't know enough about what happens in that clubhouse with these pitching coaches or hitting coaches, but people are, <laughs> uh, people are calling for Rothschild's job. Do you course, foresee any coaching shakeup in the offseason? Um, I don't know because I don't know how much. Obviously, Rothschild was, was a holdover because Cashman liked right? So, uh, you know, it depends on how much influence Aaron Boone's going to have. He marches in there and says, listen, I think we've got to change pitching coaches. I don't know how much weight that's going to carry with Cashman. Uh, Larry has a great reputation among the Yankees. Um, and there's always that argument, you know, how much difference does a hitting coach or a pitching coach make? You know, you know, we were firing Kevin Long, and then when they didn't get better, we were firing Alan Cockrell. I even forgot what the other guy's name was, Jeff Pentland. He was there for like, you know, three weeks. Yep. Uh, you know, maybe people will start now blaming Marcus for the fact that Sanchez and Greg Bird aren't hitting. But, I mean, it comes down to the players. These guys are professional ball players, and, you know, they don't need coaches. The same way I don't need a writing coach. Somebody can call, you know, an editor can say to me, hey, maybe next time when you write something like this, try it that way, and I'll, I'll take a suggestion. But it's up to me to do it. You know exactly. what I'm saying? Nobody 100%. can make me into a better writer. And that's why, you know, Larry can't make Severino into a better pitcher. Severino's either got it or he doesn't have it. Now, you know, it's been a running joke with me for the past seven years. You know, I'll go ask Larry because – Every time you ask Joe Girardi a pitching question, you know, it, it didn't matter what it was. It was like, 
what's wrong with Severino's curveball or who's pitching next Tuesday? He'd say, I have to ask Larry. <laughs> because Larry was it. I mean, he was it. He was the be-all and end-all of pitching, which surprised me because Girardi was an ex-catcher. I thought he would, you know, have a little bit of say in the pitching, but he deferred everything to Larry Rothschild. And I think the fact that Larry's here and Joe isn't tells you how much the organization values him. So based on that, I, I would have to, if you're asking me to predict, I would predict he's going to be here next year unless Aaron Boone goes in and makes a strong stand and says, you know, I need a new guy. Right. That's like an NFL head coach when the defense gives up 50 points says, just go ask the defensive coordinator. Well, you, you are ultimately course, the person in charge here. Scapegoats, right. If you're looking for scapegoats, I mean, there's always something. You always, you know, fire a massage therapist or something, you know. <laughs> you, uh, but the other thing is, you know, it's so different now. Managers used to pick their own coaching staff and they don't anymore. You know, that's another thing. You know, Aaron Boone has to work with guys. You know, he did get to pick his bench coach and his first base coach and all, but he didn't get to pick his pitching coach, which is kind of strange. So it is it is possible that he will march in there. Let's say they win the World Series. He'll be in a much better position to go in and say to Cashman, this is what I want next year. <laughs> so, right? Yeah, this so. is a wild card game. I don't think he's going to be making it. He's just going to sit home and just keep his mouth shut and fly under the radar. Well, he came from the ESPN booth, so he didn't have a ton of leverage. No, he didn't have a ton of leverage to begin with, and they didn't pay him a lot of money. I mean, that you know, listen, I know the Yankees don't, you know, they don't have to run any sales. They're fine in terms of money, but he costs them a lot less than Girardi does. I think he knows. I think he's happy just to be here at this point. But obviously, if he takes this, this team to the ALCS or even to the World Series, he's going to be in a much stronger position. Do you have a uh, – do you vote on the awards like Rookie of the Year or anything like that? I have. I have. I won't this year because I'm not officially the Yankee beat writer. But, you know, what happens is, uh, you know, every beat writer in every town gets a, a vote on one of the awards. Yeah, I've had them before. If you did, but I don't who, have one. If you did, who would you vote for in the American League? You're asking Rookie of the Year? Yeah. Uh, I guess Andujar. I think I would vote for Andujar. Yeah, you it, know, the, the, despite the defense? That it, it, yeah, in spite of the defense because he's just been such a force at the plate. And they knew. I mean, the Yankees knew that he was going to be a defensive problem, uh, you know, coming in. That was, you know, that was why they were so surprised that he hit as well as he did and made the team. Because, you know, they thought this kid needed some more time. And he probably does, you know, but it's certainly as bad as ready. I just think he's been an impact player at, at that more than Glaber because, you know, obviously Glaber missed some time with injury. And he's also, you know, had a slump. Um, you know, Otani, I, I just, you know, I, I couldn't vote for him because of the fact that, uh, you know, he's a DH, and he did also spend some time on it. I understand he's been an impact player as well, but I don't think he's had the impact that Andrew had. Yeah, I, and, and also some people are talking about Joey Wendell in Tampa, just uh, if yeah, you're looking at advanced metrics. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't seen enough of him to say, and I'm not exactly an advanced metrics guy, not yet. <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right, final thing before we let you get out here. If you remember, last time you were on the podcast, it was a couple weeks before the McGregor-Mayweather fight, and you huh. were not into it at all. Did you watch that fight? And I, turned, and I was right. And I was right. Did that age well or not? No, I mean, it, no, it was fun. Not. It was fun for the maybe 20 minutes, first 20 minutes. And then, and then it got kind of I'll old. Tell you, well, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what the deal was. I would not spend a hundred dollars for it. It's, you know, impossible. I don't even like watching Floyd fight as, you know, as much as I admire him, uh, his talent. I just think his fights are awful. And, uh, you know, I don't, I don't want to pay for them. I certainly, uh, you know, I've, I've never seen an exciting Floyd Mayweather fight. So I knew this wouldn't be one, but I was following the fight on Twitter that night and I was shocked that, you know, some boxing writers who I respected or I thought I respected were talking about what a great fight it was. And I was thinking, wow, maybe I was wrong about this. 
And then the next morning, I got to watch it on YouTube because somebody posted it. And I was shocked again by how bad Conor <laughs> McGregor was. He was friggin' awful. He was a, he was a sub-novice Golden Glover. I mean, if he was not Conor McGregor, he would never have gotten on Showtime. And I asked uh, Stephen Espinosa, the, the president of Showtime, uh, in an interview I did for the Yes Network, uh, I said, if this guy wasn't who he is, would you ever give him a spot on your network? And he said, no, of course not. The guy could not fight. And um, Mayweather carried him for nine rounds and then scored his first knockout in like 11 years. Right. So let's not talk about Conor McGregor as a boxer. Forget it. He's terrible. Go back to where you belong, man. WWE <laughs> slash UFC. And, well, and he is entertaining in the UFC, so you've got to give him Except that. Except for one thing. He, he, he's, a bit, he's a racist and, a, and a, a bit of some other things that I don't like. So, honestly, I wouldn't pay a nickel to watch him. All right. Wally, we appreciate you joining us. Good stuff. And uh, we'll catch you next time. Okay, Andrew. Good luck. Buddy. I'm sitting in the crib dreaming about Learjets and Coops The way salt shoots and how to sell records like Snoop I'm interrupted by a doorbell, 352 Who the hell is this? I get some quick cops Joining the podcast now is Neil Keith. He has uh, his own podcast and his own website called Keith to the City I'm sure you guys have talked to him on Twitter during Yankees games And he's been on the podcast before And now he gets to throw this in everybody's face He wrote a book Neil, what's up? <laughs> oh, not much, Andrew. How you doing tonight? Good. Uh, yeah, so quickly, you were just telling me about your book, The Next Yankee Era, My Transition from the Core Four to the Baby Bombers. Quickly, why don't you tell people about that? Yeah, so I wrote it. It's uh, sort of based off the postseason run last year. Um, you know, being in attendance at all the home games, it sort of goes back through from the wild card game right through Game Seven in the ALCS. Um, and it's sort of you know a personalized look at at a Yankees fan experience during that time with flashbacks to other you know big games, big events. Um, you know, it's sort of my life during the Brian Cashman era. Um, for, you know, from being in college during the ALCS against Boston um, and living in Boston during that time to some of the bigger playoff wins, um, you know, during the Cashman era. And it's, uh, you know, so it sort of takes you through last postseason flashbacks, flashbacks to big moments um, over like the last 20 years of Yankees baseball. So um, it's available on Amazon Kindle right now for download. Um, and then eventually uh, in the near future, it'll be available also for iBooks and then um, quite possibly the paperback version, um, though, you know, I feel like everyone now is more into ebooks anyway, so that's been the way it's gone, and it's uh, it's gotten off to a really great start. That's that's awesome. Congrats on finishing that. How long did it take? Thanks. Uh, I started it um, pretty much during the off season, um, you know, here and there, and then you know really revved it up as this season started getting going. So it just it took you know a few months. Um, to sort of go back and, uh, you know, get a good memory on everything that's happened and, uh, you know, be, you know, go back through baseball reference. And that was a big help, um, you know, reliving the postseason, watched every single game once again uh, from last year. So certainly those games six and seven in Houston were, were pretty painful to watch once again. But, yeah, it took a few months to complete. Nice. Cool. And, uh, yeah, so as you were saying, it was sort of reliving it through the playoff run last year, which was so much fun sort of unexpected and now this year as we're entering uh october again near and close to october i actually put out a a twitter poll yesterday and i asked very simply would you rather the yankees play at home in the wild card game against houston or on the road in oakland because those are two possibilities right now 57 percent of people prefer <laughs> to be at home against houston rather than having to travel back to california what do you think 
Yeah, I mean, I think if you're put in either of those situations, the Yankees probably don't win <laughs> either of those situations. Uh, going across the country, um, I tweeted this out the other night. Basically, game 162 is a Sunday afternoon in Boston. So let's say, um, you know, that game might mean a lot. The Yankees might have to go balls out in that game to avoid uh, going to Oakland for the one-game playoff or going on the road. But let's say Houston wins the division. Let's say that game... Um, you know, it doesn't really mean anything, or maybe it does, but let's say the Yankees win the second wild card. So after that game on Sunday, um, they will then have to fly Sunday night from Boston to Oakland, get into Oakland, you know, either late Sunday night because of the time difference, early Monday morning. Then they'll have, you know, a workout the next day. Then they'll play Wednesday night at 8 o'clock, so 5 o'clock Oakland time. Let's say the Yankees win. That game ends around 8 or 9 p.m. Pacific time, so 1 a.m. here. They get on a flight six hours back. They get back sometime, you know, late morning, early afternoon, back to Boston on uh, on Thursday. Then they have to go to Fenway, have a workout, and then the next day they play and probably have to face Chris Sale. So if the Yankees are in that situation, I would rather they just lose the wild card (laughs) game because I do not want to sit through – you know, I, I'm tr- I'm dreading a five-game series against the Red Sox as is because, like I've said my whole life, there's there's nothing to gain from this. Uh, if the Yankees beat the Red Sox in the playoffs, they're supposed to because they're the Yankees. And if they lose, it's the end of the world. And even in a year where the Red Sox might be the best regular season team in Boston history, uh, those rules still apply. So if the Yankees are going to have to go across the country, then come back, burn whichever starter the organization deems their best starting pitcher— uh, and then have to face Chris Sale and then you know play Boston on back-to-back days. It's going to end poorly. So um, if they can't get this home home field advantage for the wild card, it's it's actually a disaster. It's I can't even begin to tell you where you know where we where we were last year when they lost to Houston. You know, feeling great about baseball again for the first time in five years with Yankees baseball, you could actually see the future and to go on such an unexpected run. And, you know, those nights at the stadium in October were so amazing. And then, you know, you really had no expectation. And for them to get you within one game of the World Series, it was awesome. And it was as good of a season as any, even some of the championship years. And and now where they are, it's basically 2015 where they're just limping to the finish line. And I just have an awful feeling about the wild card game to this point. It's This team has gone from so fun to watch two months ago to just it's it's frustrating and disappointing and makes me sick every single night it's 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 still a couple weeks away so things could could obviously change and and i heard boone talking to francesa today talking about how really we just need to get back to playing good baseball and that's <laughs> very easy for him to say but it but it's so true because if the yankees are playing well down the stretch and then they have to play and they do win uh, home field advantage in the wild card game. I think people will feel a little bit differently than we are now speculating about a game three weeks from now. Yeah, I mean, Aaron Boone's an idiot. Like he, he's just flat out an awful in-game manager. He's the reason they're in this position. You know, you could talk about Gary Sanchez having an awful season. Greg Bird just, you know, whatever, whatever happened to him. The injuries to Judge Stanton being a disappointment. You know, there's a lot of things down the line that you could blame on the players, but there's no reason that this thing should now be at two games and. With Oakland playing Baltimore on Wednesday night, uh, you know they're going to win that game. They're going to win the next day too because they're playing them again. So this thing could be tied up by the end of the day on Thursday. And the only reason it's there is because of Aaron Boone. And at some point in these next, you know, 17 games, he's going to start managing with urgency. It has to happen. Um, it hasn't happened yet through the first 140 whatever games, 145 games this season. But it's going to come to the point where this thing is either one game back or tied or the A's take the lead and he's going to have to start, you know, going to Batances in the fifth inning with guys in first and third and one out. And he should have been doing that in the middle of the summer because we wouldn't be in this position right now. And a lot of people on Twitter and, and you know, 
um, you know, Yankees Twitter. I know you're, you know, you're on there. We talk all the time, you know, whether it's positive people, pessimistic people, realist people. The Yankees, if they lose the one-game playoff, I don't care if they win 103 games. It's a disaster of a season going from where they were last year to adding the NL MVP. You just, it's it's a train wreck. And and Aaron Boone and his lackadaisical la-di-da attitude has sort of given everyone this calm demeanor that it's okay to lose because there's tomorrow. Well, there's three weeks left in the season, less than three weeks, and and, and they're in a really bad spot. I was wait. I was actually wondering at what point in the podcast you would refer to Boone as an idiot, and it only took five minutes. So, so <laughs> good job there. But, but with with I agree with you that he has been pretty casual for the past few weeks as we've seen this team trending downward, and it starts with what I what happened last night where Sonny Gray started. Uh, Johnny Loisaga came in, and then Tommy Canley comes in in, in the bases-loaded situation and gives up a grand slam. Those are three guys we're not going to see in October. Those three guys might not even make the postseason roster. Certainly, Loisaga, I don't know what the point of Sonny Gray would be other than maybe if you get into a deep, deep extra innings game. So why, when you're still fighting for your, your, one, your home game wild card, are you using three guys you want no part of in a big situation? Yeah, I mean, Boone just has no clue. He has absolutely no clue. And there's this uh, there's this theme that because he's a rookie manager, it's going to take time for him to, you know, learn how to use the bullpen and utilize the right guys, the right situation. And this guy's whole family is Major League Baseball. He's been around baseball his whole life. How does experience or years as a manager going to make him better at that? It, how can the whole world know, you know, not to bring in A.J. Cole when the game is tied or losing by one and you have a chance to come back? How can the whole world not see Sonny Gray, six out of seven guys reach base, he's still in there? It's 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 honestly it's it's crazy. And so it's saying- it's a good point you bring up because because I and this is fitting together very well this podcast because I just talked to Wally Matthews about this very thing, talking about questionable in game decisions by Boone. And he's made the argument from just talking to to the coaches that a lot of these decisions are coming from above Boone's head. So I understand that Boone's the manager and he's going to get blamed. That's part of the job. When you sign on the dotted line, part of it is you get killed when things go wrong. But um, do you think some of this is just Boone being instructed how to act, how to manage? No, I don't think so at all. I think he gets, you know, suggested. But when, you know, I don't think anyone's telling him, you know, what situations or, you know, whether people are, um, you know, passing the word down, calling the dugout. No one's telling him when to bring in relievers at what time because the team was better off with Girardi and he wasn't he wasn't doing this i mean for all the criticism i gave girardi over the years he wasn't bringing in the 25th and 24th guy on the roster in crucial spots just because the inning said so and girardi was the biggest proponent of set bullpen innings for relievers but boone has taken it to another level and i thought we were going to get you know a fresh look um you know fresh ideas the idea that the closer is worthless in the ninth inning facing the seven eight nine hitters with a three-run lead and he's more valuable in the sixth inning with two men on and one out when you need a strikeout but he's just taking it to a whole nother level and the idea that he, he can just game in and game out not get it i mean like you said last night on tuesday night they used three guys who most likely aren't even going to be on the postseason roster. Tommy Canely is just garbage. For all, as good as he was last October, the, you know, they always say how volatile bullpen arms are, and from year one year to the next, you can't predict anything. But he's just going right down the tube. Sonny Gray is, is done as a Yankee. I can't imagine that they come back with him next year, even though I'm less hard on him than most people. And Jonathan, uh, you know, Johnny Lasagna there, he's great. I like him, but 
he you can't pitch him you know every 10 days you know he doesn't know he's a starter he's a lever I don't expect anything from him. You know, his season was marred by injuries. Then he was down in the minors. Then he gets called up as a September call-up. He has no idea what date he's going to pitch. So for him to go out there and get hit around a little, you expect that. He's a rookie. He's in a you know an unknown, uncharted territory. But for Sonny Gray, I mean, the Yankees make me laugh because you would think that they have, you know, the Astros rotation or some great rotation that they're so good that they could give their rotation a break and throw Sonny Gray in for a spot start. Your, your five starters as is aren't even good enough, and now you're throwing in your, your crap six guy who hasn't been a starter in six weeks, and now you're playing pitching him in games when the A's are playing the Orioles. It's, it's honestly, it drives me crazy, and I'm losing my mind over this team because— oh, I can tell. <laughs> For the last three weeks, I've said none of these games matter, and they really don't. They're going to play in the one-game playoff no matter what. But now they matter because they might not play at home. And the next game that's mattered since the Sunday night loss at Boston was October 3rd. And at this point, you know, it kills me to say, but I have—I don't feel good about this team at all. 17 games left. They could win the last 10, be on fire going into the playoffs, but that's certainly not going to help them win one game. You know, the playoffs could. are crap. No, the playoffs are about how you're playing, how the, the hot team usually wins in the playoffs. And that's like, look at the Indians last year. They went on an unbelievable, unbelievable run, won 20-something games in a row, and then that got bounced by the Yankees because the Yankees got hot at the right time. So... I understand where you're coming from. I'm extremely frustrated too. I think a lot of people are extremely frustrated. But this, the team does have three weeks to try and turn it around before that wild card game. No, I get that. And like you know, maybe they go, maybe they win out. Maybe something nuts happens. Maybe they win the last five games of the season. Um, but their schedule is, is is way harder than the A's. The A's won't see a team going to the postseason the rest of the way. They've got you know the game on Wednesday against the Orioles, another one on Thursday. They play a lot of games against the Angels, who suck. The Yankees have to play six games against Boston, and they're probably not going to have anything to play for. They're probably going to be, you know, giving guys innings off, you but, know, spot starting people. But at the same time, Boston has a chance to destroy the Yankees' right. season. Yep. They're going to do that. And, and Tampa. Those, yeah, and, and it makes me laugh because these people that have been scoreboard watching the Red Sox the last few weeks when this thing got down to five games or, you know, when it went back up, then it got down again. I mean, Boston, they come back every single night. You, They're down 6 nothing in the eighth. They come back and win. So when they get the chance to ruin the Yankee season and you know in the next week and the week after that, they're going to take that chance and they're going to run with it because they would rather see Oakland in the ALDS than the Yankees, that's for sure. So if they can prevent that and if they can send the Yankees 3,000 miles across the country, 3,000 miles back before the ALDS, they're certainly going to do the best they can to do so. All right, let me play devil's advocate a little bit with the Boone and Girardi comment you made a little while ago. Because if Boone listens to this, he's going to start crying, and, and I'll just feel bad for him. <laughs> but one thing we had with Girardi every season is Dellen Batances' arm falling off in September. And this year, Dellen Batances has been probably their best relief pitcher to this date. I'm probably jinxing, jinxing him at this very moment, but Boone has done a good job with certain players managing their innings, I believe. Yeah, I think so, but, uh, you know... It's hard to give Boone any credit at this point in the season, uh, especially, you know, people want to say, oh, you know, they already won 90 games. He's a rookie manager. Well, seven out of the 15 teams in the American League are going to lose at least 88 games. They're in a division with the Orioles, who are one of the worst teams in the history of baseball. And, you know, they, the interleague games they played, they played crap teams. They went three and three against the Mets, two and two against the Nationals, both bad teams. So, uh, if you want to say Boone, the best thing he's done is manage arms, you know, I guess. But, you know, Batances, um, for me, Batans, I've always been a Batances fan. I've never gotten on him, even with his struggles last season. Never said a bad word about the guy. When this team was, you know, awful for three years, 
He was the MVP of the team. He was the best reliever in baseball. Um, he got, you know, screwed over, nickel and dimed by the front office, um, you know, which was just an embarrassing thing for a homegrown kid from New York City who was, you know, has done everything, said everything right, been great for this team his entire career. Um, so I've always been a Batances fan. So if we want to say the one thing out of this whole season Boone has done well <laughs> is uh, prevent Batances from, you know, going down, going down the toilet the way Girardi did last year, you know, okay, I guess so. Um, but that's that's you know that's a stretch at, at, at most. And one thing, and it's we've been sort of uh, everything we've been saying has been highlighting the fact. But if you just look at the trends month by month with this team, they had a 640 winning percentage in April, then a 680 in May, 667 in June, 600 in July, 567 in August, and right now they're five and five in September. So the trend is not in the right direction for this team, and it's multifaceted. And one of the things that pisses me off on a nightly basis is watching this offense struggle against mediocre to just downright terrible pitching. Between Ronaldo Lopez for the White Sox and Daniel Norris for Detroit, Mike Fires in the Oakland bullpen, and then Kyle Gibson in the Minnesota bullpen, like why does this team struggle uh, with still, don't give me Aaron Judge's out, there still is enough talent in that lineup to hit some of these mediocre pitchers. Yeah, I think the biggest thing is that they're so right-handed heavy. I mean, Didi Gregorius is their best left-handed hitter, and he's you know constantly in the middle of the lineup when he does. He's not a middle of the lineup guy. Um, you know, he had the huge April with a lot of power. His walk rate was out of this world, but you know he's come crashing back down to earth when it comes to walks. And he's you know he's a good player. He's a good hitter. He's a good contact guy. He doesn't strike out a lot, but he's not a three-four-five hitter by any stretch. Even even though he was that in the playoffs last year, even though he's been that for most of this year. Um, but they have to put. In there because he's the only guy left-handed who can hit uh greg bird you know <laughs> i've been a huge greg bird supporter at this point i there's nothing you could say to support him because he's just been flat out awful um you know maybe it's the lingering effects of the ankle problem um you know he's only two years removed from a shoulder shoulder surgery so maybe greg bird is never actually going to realize the potential we saw in 2015 the potential we saw last postseason when he had you know an over 400 on base percentage but the yankees they're in serious trouble because let's say they beat oakland um and they get to play boston you know from then on out you know outside of oakland who has really no good starting pitcher to throw if they throw you know fires if they throw cahill they're going to bullpen game it whatever they're going to do after them, you've got Boston, you've got Cleveland, you've got Houston. You're just going to see an elite starting pitcher every single night. And what the elite starting pitching has done to this team is flat-out scary with sliders away. I mean, if you thought it was an issue last year with Judge and Sanchez. It's still an issue with Sanchez this season. Which John Carlos Stanton will swing at any slider that's in the other batter's box. Like, it is mind-blowing. He's He is Starlin Castro, just a bigger version and with more power. He has the same plate discipline, which is none. He'll swing at anything. And, you know, people want to say, oh, three, three home runs. He's come over to a new league. Um, You know, give him credit, this, that. He was hot for a few weeks. They made him out to be a hero because he DH for like 80 games in a row. But he's been a huge disappointment. Aaron Hicks, uh, I tweeted, you know, I think last week his numbers against Cleveland, Houston, and Boston, and then his numbers against the rest of the teams. And it's just scary because he's a guy who will go out and get his, you know, pad his stats against the number four and five starters. But 
three weeks from today, they're not going to see any more four and five starters. So Aaron Hicks was garbage in the playoffs last year. You can't expect anything from him going in this year. But the team's going to hit him first because of his on-base percentage, even though those numbers didn't come against good pitching. They're certainly not going to hit him at the bottom of the order where, they, where he belongs. They're probably going to put Glaber Torres there, which is just crazy because Boone's still hitting Glaber Torres behind Austin Romine, uh, you know, three months after he was hitting him behind Tanaka against the Mets. So this, this well, lineup I- has... The lineup has a lot of holes. It has a lot of problems. It has good power numbers, and they'll beat up on, on you know crap pitching half the time. But when it gets crunch time and they're facing elite pitching in three weeks, uh, it's going to be real ugly. Well, the, and the Yankees have also made um, – they've performed well against bullpens, at least in the first half of the season. They would beat up on bullpens. So that's one thing. The, the, the template, if you do get past the one-game wild card, is keep it close through five innings, then your bullpen's going to beat the other bullpen. But with the way the offense is trending, I don't have confidence in that. And I, I understand Judge has been out. He's going to be back, um, who knows, in the next week or two weeks. We don't Three know. Weeks. We don't know if his if his wrist is going to be 100% healthy and if he's going to be back on track. Gary Sanchez will hit a 460-foot home run in the third deck in Minnesota and then ground out with the bases loaded the next night. So Gary Sanchez, who, who the hell knows? I don't think Greg Bird's going to be on the postseason roster. <laughs> Stanton, you have you said you're, he's been a complete disaster. I think that's... that's um, no, I said disappointment. He disappointment. is a disappointment. If, if you're not disappointed in it, I mean, he's 33, he's hitting 260. Uh, I, I, you know, when, we, when you hear his numbers and you see 59 home runs, certainly that's hard to ever replicate ever again. That's a... You know a generational season but when you watch him night in and night out which you know I didn't you know I watch a lot of baseball I bet on a lot of baseball so I saw a lot of Marlins games when he was on the Marlins but when you actually watch every single at bat of his it's it gets really hard to watch when he's going badly and he's been going badly recently last 21 games a 524 OPS just one home run he I thought when he got his 300th home run the, the the monkey was off his back that hasn't worked now Boone moved him back to the cleanup spot where he is performing better than in the two spot he's got a 1010 OPS out of the cleanup spot um do you think uh, we're starting that that lineup change will help get him out of his funk uh, you know, maybe. I mean, it never surprises me when he hits a home run or goes one for four. But he seems to be, you know, he had that one game a couple months ago where, uh, you know, he hit the big home run to tie it. He hit the walk off. And, you know, the two home run game against Keiko, the two home run on uh, the two home run game on opening day in Toronto. You take away those three things. That's, you know, pretty oh, no. much it. He, I don't like played. I don't like this game. I don't like the takeaway game. No, I'm not saying that I'm not taking away. I'm saying you take those three games. That's it. I mean, we're at game 145, and he, he has played well against Boston. I'll give him that. He has hit very well against Boston, which most big-name free agents, when they come to the Yankees, or really any new Yankee, usually sucks against the Red Sox. It's usually the ex-Yankees that do well against the Yankees. But for Stan, he, he has hit Boston. I will give him that. That's been his uh, biggest contribution to this team. But, um, you know, maybe he'll turn it around these next few weeks, but it doesn't matter. Like, like we said earlier, nothing – that happens between now and game 162 matters on October 3rd, either at Yankee Stadium or in Oakland, because it's one baseball game. Anything can happen. It's <laughs> bananas. Look what happened last year. Five minutes in, the Yankees right. are down 3 nothing, second and third, one out. Um, and they're not going to face that, that same caliber of team. The A's are not that bad. You know, the A's are probably going to pass the Yankees. As we're talking right now, they're up 7 to nothing in the third inning in Baltimore. So it's at least getting, you know, it's going to be one and a half in a couple hours. If the Yankees don't win, it's going down to one. Maybe they'll hold it at two. But um, when it comes to Stanton, I just, I don't, I don't know. I don't expect him to do anything in the playoffs because he's not going to see fastballs. They're going to throw 
They're, they're going to throw breaking balls low and away, and, and they'll you know walk him if they have to, and he just won't walk. He'll swing away because that's what he does. So um, I don't expect much. If, if Judge doesn't come back and he's not even close to being, you know, he doesn't need to be the 52 home run guy, but if he's not even, you know, 80% of that, then it, it doesn't matter anyway because he's, he is the lineup. He's the, the best hitter in the entire lineup. He makes the lineup stronger. He makes the lineup deeper and longer. So um, he is the team. If he doesn't come back, this, this thing's not going any, anywhere anyway. So I think it, it pretty much starts and ends with Aaron Judge. I think, yeah, I think that's been – we knew he was obviously – Great. We knew he was fantastic after what he did last year, but I think his absence has really been highlighted how much the Yankees have been struggling. But I don't know if these lineup, little minor lineup changes, I think they're overrated. Moving Stanton down to the four spot, I don't agree with Glaber Torres batting ninth, but I don't know what, what even the point of moving him there or number six is. I hate when we, when, when, and I know you do complain about the lineup a lot, but these players, no matter where they hit, one through nine, should be hitting better than they are. That's the you bottom know, line. No, I agree. I think my biggest problem with the lineup, if you want to put Stanton fourth or third or Sanchez fifth, sixth, it's things like that that don't really matter. But when you're hitting Glaber Torres ninth behind Austin Romine or behind, you know, Neil Walker or behind the pitchers, the pitch like he's hitting behind the pitchers. Turn it over, man. Turn that so, lineup over. <laughs> the, that is the, the most idiotic strategy in all of baseball. That's, but, that's an analytical strategy that's clearly coming from above Boone. I have to believe that. I mean, you know, maybe. I think my biggest problem is Aaron Hicks is – you know they're going to bat him first in the playoffs. That's I, that's a given. You know one game. Do playoff, you want Brett Gardner there because Brett Gardner? No, I has don't. Been I mean Brett MIA. Gardner. Let's be real. Brett Gardner. You had he had a great career. You know he's been on this team for eleven seasons. He's made over sixty-two million dollars, which no one would have thought when he came up. You know a decade ago. So he's had a nice career, but Brett, it's time to go. I mean you got cracking seven hundred OPS. They've got McCutcheon. They've got Hicks. They've got State, and they've got Judge Clint Frazier. They didn't trade. He's waiting in the wings. So I just. Maybe they buy him out and offer him a lower deal, but there's no way Gardner can be picked up at twelve and a half million. Just like there's no way I don't think you give CC ten million to come back in again next year, but that's a hundred percent going to happen. But back to Hicks, um, he, he he's I guess he's going to bat you know leadoff. I'd bat Judge there. I want Judge getting the most at bats, and people say, well, you want him to come up with guys on base. Well. Aaron Hicks is just going to make the first out of the game. He's going to come up without anyone on base anyway, so you might as well get him the most possible at-bats. But his, I mean, I understand that um, Aaron Hicks, his, bat, his batting average isn't great, but his on-base percentage is pretty good. Yeah, it's solid. It's, it's solid, and, uh, you know, I crushed him for the longest time, um, and he's finally come around, and, you know, he, he's turned into a nice player, and, you know, I've apologized for all the times I said that, you know, they should get rid of him over the last few years. But then again, you know, he's seven years into his career. Um, you know, most people don't get seven years of chances because uh, they were a first-round pick when they were 18, year old, 18 years old hitting with a metal bat. So, um, you know, he finally broke through. It took him, you know— through uh, his late 20s to get there, but he finally is a nice player, and uh, he's going to hit first, so I just got to live live with that. I think, you know, the biggest gripe, um, aside from where Torres hits with me, is everyone all offseason was looking forward to the idea of Judge Sanchez, Stanton, and Sumwater hitting back-to-back-to-back. We only saw it a handful of times. Um, you know, injuries played a, a large role in that. Sanchez, um, you know, not being able to hit, period, also played a role in that, but if, if they're all healthy, you know, three weeks from tonight, I would love to see if you're going to put Hicks first, put those next three guys, you know, two, three, four, because Gary Sanchez, yeah, he's hitting 180. Yeah, he's had a train wreck of a season, but he still has that. He's still Gary Sanchez. That's still in him. You know, he's not going to be a 180 hitter for the rest of his career. He's not just going to fade away. Um, and, you know, we saw him get hot 
you know, at times this year, he was hot the other night, then he has a bad game the next game. But all it takes is, you know, him getting one mistake pitch in the one-game playoff that could open up and change that game. I agree with you on Gary Sanchez. And another thing that Scott and I have talked about and fans have talked about all season is Gary Sanchez versus Austin Romine and who should be the starting catcher. I think people who say Austin Romine should be the starting catcher are out of their damn mind. But at the same time, you can't sit there and tell me that Gary Sanchez doesn't frustrate the hell out of you because he has 39 wild pitches allowed in 532 innings caught. And the other night in Oakland, when Severino was on the mound, he looked ab- he was a train wreck. He looked absolutely lost. Couldn't catch pitches two inches off the plate. So at a certain point, I think you have to say to Gar- with Gary Sanchez, this is a lost season for you. Yeah, I think so. I think he just, you know, he's not going to hit 300. He's not going to hit 200 probably at this point. So he needs to look at the numbers, realize, you know, this is a bad year. Next year will be different. I'm not going to replicate the 3390 year I had. I'm not going to go on the historic run I went on two years ago. Just go from all he can do is improve from here forward to the end of the season. Um, he's another guy where yeah, I'm a huge Gary Sanchez fan. He's probably my favorite player on the team. I've never said a bad word about him. He's exciting. He was the, you know, really the first guy because of Bird's injuries to come and sort of change what we've saw out of the Yankees from 2013 to 2016 um and i just i still believe in him i think the pass balls the you know the lazy approach you know i was at the game in tampa when the ball got away and he walked to it and the runner scored from second um you know and then he didn't hustle down the first baseline before he went back on the dl and you know it pains me to watch him do that because yeah at times he has these brain farts where you know he doesn't give 100 percent and and that's a shame because he's playing baseball for a living why wouldn't he give 100 percent every single opportunity but he still is the best catcher in baseball. And these pass balls are, are drastically, you know, it, it's, it's crazy how much attention it gets every time the ball's in the dirt and he blocks it. It's like people are like, he blocked the ball. They go crazy. If it gets by him, they go even crazier. Um, Tuesday night, Austin Romine let a, a ball go off his glove. No one said anything. The next inning, he hits into a double play. No one says anything. So people that want Austin Romine to to start, you know, just take a lap because you're just you're losers. You just like what are you thinking? I know you had a tweet the other day about comparing their war. Gary Sanchez couldn't be worse this year. Like he he could bat left handed and and probably do the same. And he still has a better war than Austin Romine, who's having a career year, who, who will somehow maybe get traded, maybe become a starter somewhere else. And he'll never do this again. But that just goes to show you that Gary Sanchez, at his ultimate worst, the bottom, the bottom, the bottom he could ever be, and he's still better than Austin Romine. All right, let's talk about something positive. Let's talk about Jay. <laughs> let's talk about Jay Happ because Love he, Jay Happ. he's been great, with the exception of that one start against Detroit. Since he's uh, been with the Yankees, forty-six and two-thirds innings to a two-seventy ERA and a six-seventy-one OPS allowed. And one of the things that I know Cashman and Boone talked about when they acquired him were, was his peripheral stats are better than maybe the traditional stats are telling us. And I think we're seeing that play out because his batting average on balls in play with Toronto was 286. And right now with the Yankees, it's 246. And his ERA has come down. So maybe the Yankees have a little bit better defense than, than the Blue Jays, which I find funny <laughs> because I think the Yankees <laughs> have been poor defensively. But what we're seeing is Jay Happ pitching better, which is what the Yankees thought when they were getting him, giving them stability, uh, which they, much, uh, they drastically needed. 
Yeah, and I think, you know, J-Hap's been great. I mean, you couldn't ask for a better deadline acquisition. He had the, the one clunker last week. But aside from that, he's been, you know, better than you could ever imagine. And uh, I would go right ahead and, you know, as long as he stays healthy from here to the end of the season, I would offer him a free agent deal because he's a veteran lefty. Um, they need that presence in the rotation. You know, CeCe's a veteran lefty, but he's not... He's no longer at the stage Hap is, um, even though, you know, they're, they're relatively close in age. Hap, you know, still can dominate. CC, if he gives you, you know, five innings, two runs, you know, you'll take that five innings, three runs. Um, CC now can barely give you five innings, but Hap's been great. Uh, I have nothing, you know, he, he's been awesome. And uh, if it comes down, you know, right now, there's, you know, people expect either him or Tanaka to start the one game playoff instead of Severino because he's been so bad for two months. Um, you know, that is a, a dilemma that keeps me up at night. I don't know who should start that game. Um, when it comes to Tanaka, I mean, I trust him. You know, he was great in the postseason last year. He was solid against the Astros in 2015. He wasn't lights out. I mean, five innings, two runs. Um, you know, that's all right. Uh, Hap and Tanaka, the problem with them is when they make a mistake, it's probably leaving the ballpark. When Severino makes a mistake, they're probably going to foul it off. So, you know, to get Severino and not pitch him in that game, um, I don't know. It, it's honestly, it's I don't know what the right decision is, and that's that decision. If they lose that game, is going to be second guess like nothing else because they have three solid options to go with. Um, they just have to pick the right one. Yeah, it's something that it's really all people are talking about at this point because it's the only thing that's still left to be decided, other than now where that game is going to be played, which we've already covered. Boone talked about it. I listened. Did you listen to his Francesa spot today? Yes, I did. Yeah, and he was talking about how it, it could come even down to the final weekend on who they decide to, to pitch. Because if they have to play a game at Fenway Park that weekend that could clinch them home field, well, then you're not going to save your guy for, for the one-game wild card. You're going to use him then so you can get that home field. Yeah, I agree. And I knew, I, didn't, I knew Mike had to ask him that, but obviously he's not going to, you know, give an answer. Even if he knows, oh, it's Severino or it's Tanaka or it's Hap, he's not going to say it, you know, with 17 games to go. So I get he has to ask the question, and I certainly get that he's not going to give a real answer. Um, no matter what, the Yankees are going to have the better starting pitcher in the wild card game. That's a given. Any of those three guys are better than anything the A's are going to throw. The A's bullpen is solid, so I wouldn't be surprised if they just go straight relievers the whole time. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if they go fires. I wouldn't be surprised. Cahill, outside of Cahill's start against the Yankees, his ERA in Oakland is like is crazy. It's you know it's in the ones I believe. It, you know it, it, he could certainly shut them down. Um, he struggled with them last week, but that doesn't mean anything. Like like we said, it's one game. Anything could happen. So uh, the thing that scares me the most is. Um, you know, Oakland is just like, they just have that feel. They just have that peskiness to them. Um, everyone on that team hits for power. It seems like every ball that's in play is a line out, you know, right at someone, um, or, or a line, you know, a line drive in the gap. So it's, it's scary. And, uh, they're, they're certainly not a team you want to see where would have been much better off playing the Mariners if they didn't go in the tank, like they always do. They, yeah. But, uh, no one thought but, the Mariners were going to actually make it. No, and I think going to Oakland, I mean, the Yankees haven't played well in Oakland in a long, long time. And to do the cross-country trip and come back and face that team, which is, uh, you know, it's just, it's a bad, it's a bad combination. And uh, I just don't know. I mean, 
even if they play him in Yankee Stadium, I don't feel that great, but I certainly feel much, much, much better than if they have to go across the country. And another thing about Oakland is that they play better defense than the Yankees, and I really think that the Yankees defensively in the second half has been one of the things that has cost them the most. And Andujar, everyone knows, he's been the worst third baseman in baseball defensively, but Glaber Torres has mental lapses. When Aaron Judge is, in, is not in the outfield, the outfield defense suffers because Stanton is not the same type of outfielder, and then that leaves you weak at a corner spot instead of having uh, Gardner, Hicks, and Judge, which are all three plus defenders. And Bird or Voigt, they're both average at best. So I really think that the defense on this team, it does not bode well for for a one-game playoff spot. I I have nightmares of a boneheaded play costing them uh, a couple runs in a wildcard game. Yeah, I mean, I can see that too. And like you said, Judge is sort of, he's the, he's what makes this team clicks both offensively and certainly defensively in the outfield. Um, you know, he should get a, a good amount of MVP votes just for anyone who's watched this team since he's gone down. Um, you know, it's been over a month now. It's been like almost seven weeks at this point. It's been, you know, we're almost closing on the two-month um, time period since he got hit on the wrist. But uh, yeah, this team, I don't know. And you mentioned Voight and Bird. They're both, you know, pretty much the same at first. Uh, Voight took his job with what he's done over the last couple of weeks, but I just, you know, if, if anyone's expecting Luke Voigt to, you know, continue his Shane Spencer act into the postseason, uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't count on that. I, I, like I said, I'm a huge Bird supporter. It's hard to support him these days, but I would still, you know, I would give him a good amount of that bets. I would split the time between the two over these next two weeks. And I really, uh, you say he might not be on the postseason roster. I would play him in the one, one game playoff. How? How could you do that? Yeah, I know. It's it's crazy. And for me, the people that I do get on and to not get on Sanchez and to not get on Batantis last year and to not really get on Bird this year outside of a few moments, um, you know, Bird, he's he still, I don't know. I just still want to believe okay. that he's the Greg Bird we saw three years ago and last October. I mean, last October, he's their best hitter, flat out. I mean, he had a four-something on base percentage. He he had like 10 pitch at-bats every time up. The huge home run off Miller um, that saved the season in game three. And, you know, when you watch that video, if you watch the gif of him doing that, when you when you're a left-handed batter and you're turning around Andrew Miller in a in a zero-zero you know elimination game to almost the upper deck at New Yankee Stadium, which is just ridiculous, um, you know that guy's still in there. And and Luke Voigt can go and you know he can homer off these these garbage relievers and these four and five starters that he has the last few weeks. But um, I don't know. To me, I'd still play. I'm probably the only person in the world that has that idea right now. But I would still play. I'd, you know, hit him eighth, hit him ninth, whatever you want to do. But I mean, it's still in there. That What we've seen from Greg Bird, that's still in there somewhere. And, and the importance, I've beaten this topic to death, the importance of Greg Bird being a left-handed hitter is so key to this team because we said all of the right-handed hitters that they have, Didi is not a three or a four hitter. Greg Bird, in theory, is a three or a four hitter. If he could produce like he did in September or in October of last year, it completely changes the dynamic of the lineup. But having said all that, all Greg Bird at this point is, is an idea. He, that's all he is at this point. We have an idea of what Greg, Greg Bird should be. He's not that right now. So you can't play him. Yeah, I mean, I have nothing to say in, uh, in defense of Greg Bird there. I mean, you could say anything you want about him, that he's an idea, he's this, and there's, there is no defense. There's no rebuttal because he's been that bad and he's been that much of a letdown. And, um, you know, maybe we saw the best of what he'll ever give us because of the injuries. Maybe he just lost it. I don't know, but 
um, like you said, he is the left-handed presence when, you know, he was, you know, got one of the only three hits in the wild card game three years ago against Keiko when no one on the Yankees could hit Keiko. Um, you know, he was given the number three spot on the order to start last season right away, um, despite coming back from uh, missing a whole season. They put him right away in the number three spot this year. You've heard Aaron Judge say this guy, when healthy, is the best hitter in the organization. So, it's it's not crazy. I mean, it's in there for Greg Bird. I don't know. Maybe his ankle won't let him be the hitter he was. Maybe it's his shoulder, but it's still in there. And, you know, I know I have a good idea what Luke Voigt is. I don't think Luke Voigt is that far removed from Tyler Austin. I think they're essentially the same exact player. They'll have their moments, but the most of the time they'll disappoint you. Um, but I think Greg Bird can have, you know, expanded moments. I think he could go on a type of run that we've seen at times this year when everyone thought, here he is, he's going to turn it around, and he didn't end up doing it. But hit him eighth or ninth, but I, I don't know. I, you have They have to get left-handed bats in there somehow, or they're just going to get embarrassed in the playoffs. And if you want to bat him you know, at the bottom of the order, you need that left-handed presence. And we've seen when he's right what he can do, and he can carry this team. Yeah, we've seen it. Maybe the Boone, like you said, will give him some at-bats over the next two weeks, and, and he can turn things around. Neil, thanks very much for joining us. Um, I'm a little worried about your, your mental stability with this team right now. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully they turn it around just for your sake. Well, I'm more worried about like my actual physical health. I mean, the, where I was last year sitting you know, in the right field bleachers when, the, when they went down through nothing in the wild card game, I just... I have this awful feeling already. You know, I'm already looking at flights to go to across the country for the one game playoff. If if it's not here, which is just you know absurd because that could be a an awful, awful, awful flight home. But um, yeah, I mean, I just need my heart. Hopefully, my heart and uh, you know everything can can last through another crazy October with this team. That could be a very expensive 24 hour trip. For you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess the idea is that there's no point because if they do win then okay they just go up to boston it's obviously much closer to us than oakland is um and if they lose well you certainly don't want to be out there out there for that so yes the chances are i won't be going to the one game playoff unless um you know it's in new york which uh, you know hopefully i'll see you there for it all right neil thanks again good stuff thanks andrew hey guys thanks for listening to the bronx pinstripe show make sure you find us on itunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone if you do like the show, we'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review in iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it. And go Yankees.